your attention this morning to the book of Romans. I pray the Lord bless us this morning as we look once again into God's Word. The Word of God is very rich, very profound, very deep. Um, I often like to say we let or allow the Word of God to speak for itself. Sometimes we get the idea that we have to go through some sort of religious training, some sort of school of hard knocks, if you will, in order to preach the gospel. Paul told Timothy, a young man, not to allow anybody or let anybody or don't let uh, one despise his youth. How is it that he could say that? Well, there's one easy answer. The same way David could say in Psalms 119 and verse 99, He said, I know more than the ancients. How is it that Timothy would not let another despise his use? Because he had a thus saith the Lord. David went on to say, because I keep thy precepts. Anyone who stands and speaks on behalf of the Lord, who has a thus saith the Lord, has the authority in that and that alone, to preach the Word. You can know as, as much as the ancients, if you will, because you stand with them, alongside them, in declaring the unsearchable riches of Christ. And so that's what I have for you this morning. Let's continue to pray for Brother Bloyd. If you haven't heard already, he's in Texas preaching at Temple Primitive Baptist Church. And one of the uh, scriptures that's on my mind this morning is found in the first chapter in the book of Romans, verse 9. That's chapter 1. Great epistle. Great epistle. Matthew Henry said that it was the book that was written uh, to the Romans. And it remains today a book written to the Romans, if you will. Uh, For in it, it's a capsule, if you will. It's a microcosm, if you will, of the entirety of of the Christian faith. It's a beautiful book. It's no uh, mistake, I think, that it feeds right after in the New Testament uh, following the book of Acts because it's so profound in its doctrinal themes and basis. When I read the book of Romans, I can't help but thinking that in that church uh, were many who had questions and who were uh, misunderstanding some things. Some people were overly zealous, and yet they had a knowledge that was far inferior to the gospel itself. They had a zeal, but not according to the gospel knowledge. They had a particular knowledge that they brought over from perhaps the Old Testament. They were very studious as law keepers, maintaining a service of religion, and yet they were missing the important part of the Christian faith. What we're going to find out today is the nuts and the bolts of the Christian faith. What motivates us? What aligns us to the great Apostle Paul? 
What bridges the gap? Some of the greatest difficulties that we have in life can be solved with this scripture right here this morning. A lot of your dreams and visions for the future are understood in the vacuum of verse 9. At least it has been for me. Whatever Paul the Apostle attained, whatever he achieved, apprehended, is something that all of us long for. There is no doubt when we consider the Apostle Paul's life, just the ability to write an epistle like this by and through the power of the Holy Spirit. But nevertheless, he attained to certain things that you and I dream of. That maybe some of us won't ever actually apprehend until the day we awake and see the likeness of the Lord himself with our own eyes. This is a tremendous chapter. And in it we see the very crux, the very essence, I believe, of the Christian life. Notice with me, verse 9. I'll read verse 8 as a way to introduce the whole chapter as an introduction, if you will. Some have thought of it in 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 an insignificant way because it's the beginning of a much greater book in terms of what follows. But the introduction is powerful, as we shall see, by the grace of God, if the Lord is with us today, with not only the word itself, that God would bless it, but also the reception of it. First, he said, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. That's my understanding that the apostle has yet, at this particular point in time, when he is writing this epistle, he's yet to have visited the Gentiles in Rome. Now, primarily Gentiles, there's no doubt about it. They had a great faith. It was spread abroad. It echoed. It reverberated. It sounded out the truth that these brethren, is so much so that the Apostle Paul longed to visit with them. And one little side note about the Romans, you know, there's no particular way in which we can be certain just how this early church at Rome was constituted. But one of the earliest mentions of these brethren, I believe, were found right in the book of Acts, chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, when the scripture says that there were strangers from Rome there. And all of them curious about that because... I'm just assuming that the majority of those in that upper room when the, Pente- when the Pentecost had fully come and the Holy Ghost came down and confirmed the early church, blessed it with power from on high, that the majority of them were Jews. And it was no doubt uh, due to the fact that Pentecost was a tremendous festival that Many kept and descended upon Jerusalem from all corners of Asia. But the scripture says there were strangers from Rome. But then following that little note, it speaks of Jews and proselytes. So my idea is that yes, they were Gentiles there. Blessed by God's grace to be a part of that day. That morning hour when the Holy Ghost came down. But they were proselytes in the sense that they aligned themselves with the Jewish people and wanted to be numbered among those early saints. 
these same Gentiles would learn a lot. Scratching their heads. Because amid, amid that church full of Gentiles, by the way, which verse 14 or verse 13 suggests that there was the larger percentage of that church in Rome who were Gentiles. But nevertheless, it seems to me as you read this book that there were certain problems. And like a lot of Paul's epistles, you read and it seems to identify various problems that they had. One such problem in this church at Rome was there were certain Jews who felt they had an advantage based on their historical past. Another one was that they were priding themselves over the Gentiles as because of that. Some were Judaizers in the sense that they desired to keep this service, the law service, in order to be accepted with God. They looked to doing things, you know, that's what we like to do by nature. We like to perform some religious act. And by doing it, we feel like we're holy. You know, we forget all about what faith is. These are the, some of the things that the Apostle Paul will address in this great book. And in this particular verse, I believe, is a real cornerstone to what follows. I thank my God through Jesus Christ, has said, for all of you. That your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. And of course it continues there, but let's just stop. What does it mean that Paul was serving God with his spirit? What does it mean that God is his witness. What's that mean? And what does it mean that he did so? He said, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. How beautiful that, that language is. The Apostle Paul invoked the witness of God on his behalf on several occasions. So when we think about a witness, we're thinking about an eyewitness. We're thinking about someone who testifies to something, that he authenticates it as being true. You want a witness on your behalf if you're accused of some crime and you feel that you are innocent, you want a witness to prove it so. You want an eyewitness. You want somebody can, who can testify to the authenticity of what you are saying before the judge. The Apostle Paul is saying the same thing, that God is his witness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says this very amazing thing when he invokes the very presence of God, the, the sight of God. We are all within the sight of God. He said, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. But notice what he says, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. What does he mean when he says making manifest? What is this manifestation of the truth? It's the preaching of the gospel. Paul was called to declare the truth. Paul wasn't called to manipulate the truth undercut it in some way in order to seek gain. 
of some way. In other words, he was bearing witness to the fact that God sees him. It goes maybe all the way back to the day when he was cast to the ground. And when he heard the voice from heaven, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he cried out, Lord, who art thou? Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? He came into relationship with the God of all heaven and earth. He came into relationship, a personal relationship, with the Lord Jesus Christ from heaven. That stuck with him, didn't it? You know, when you have an experience of God's sovereign grace in your heart, it'll stick with you. You'll remember that. You'll reflect on that. And you'll bear witness to that. That God sees, He knows all things. And if you're to declare the truth of God, you'll declare it in the sight of God. Because God has eyes. All things are naked unto Him with whom we have to do. And so we don't take this foolishly. And we don't undercut the truth in order to deceive people. We want to be sincere, Paul said in another place, and without offense until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he also has ears, does he not? He not only sees, we do things in the sight of God, but we also do things, God is my witness, because he hears everything. He hears the motions of the deepest recesses of our heart. But he's, he can hear. And I, I take this all the way back to the book of Joshua. Joshua has come to the end of his life. He's going to pass the baton over to the children of Israel. And he says, choose you this day whom you will serve. Are you going to serve the gods that your father served before Egypt? Or are you going to serve the god, little g, of the Amorites in the land now wherein you dwell? They've been delivered from the iron furnace of Egypt. They've been brought through the Red Sea on dry land. They've crossed the Jordan in the same manner. And now Joshua is going to testify to God before all the people. And you know what they said? They said, we will serve the Lord. And so Joshua takes his big stone and he sets it right down beside the sanctuary. And he says to that stone, it's got ears to hear what you just said. You know what that stone represents? It's a figure of the Lord Jesus Christ who hears not only the prayers of His people, but the words of their mouth, their commitment to Him. Paul is saying, God is my witness whom I serve, that what I say is true. He bears witness to it. Well, that word witness also conveys the idea of sealing. He'll use this in another place. Actually, he'll use it in the same book of Romans, but look at this and. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, when he refers to the sealing of God's Holy Spirit. Now, sealing is something that we're all well aware of. It's just a mark. Uh, your signature is a seal. You're not going to sign your name on something that you don't attest to. Would you? People do it all the time, don't they? It's fictitiously they do it. They may sign somebody else's name. It's a sign of their insincerity. It's a sign of their lying, of their deceit. Paul said, God's my witness who has sealed me. God sealed him. God has enough 
Listen, excuse me, Paul had the assurance that what he said was true because God gave it to him. Now, this is what he says. The first chapter, 2 Corinthians 22. Speaking of God, who has anointed us, he said in verse 21, who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Where is the Spirit of God? It's in our hearts. The Holy Spirit seals us. In other words, He stamps His approval upon us by the things that we say because we are aligning them with the truth and the veracity of a thus saith the Lord. That's all it means. It's nothing more um, critical or there's no secret in trying to understand what that word means. If a man has a thus saith the Lord, he's sealed. He's identifying himself with the truth of the word of God. And if a man doesn't preach the truth, he doesn't own up to that sealing or authenticity. There's no confirmation. And so that's basically and primarily what it means. It's an, it's, a, it's an acceptance of God, if you will, upon what is said. God is pleased. God is pleased. He rejoices over His people and what they say, their commitments, what they do in the name of Christ. This means something to Him. And it's done through and by the Spirit of God. We testify that these things are so. How do we do it? Through the Spirit of God. The Spirit, He says in, in chapter 8, bears witness with our spirit. What does he bear witness to? He bears witness to the fact that we are indeed the children of God. So it's not something that we dream up. It's not something that we want in the sense that we can put on. It's something that has made us through and through. We are in him by virtue of that powerful covenant relationship that we have through the Spirit. Because God borns us again. We're made alive. We're quickened by the Spirit of God We are His by covenant relationship. And now that we walk and we do the things that we're supposed to be doing because the Spirit of God resigns in us, He seals us with His signature and says, that's exactly what I want, you see. That's the whole purpose of the gospel right there. That's why He was commending the truth to other men's consciences. He wasn't force-feeding anybody this He was simply preaching the truth. And when the Apostle Paul went anywhere, there was one thing on his mind. There was one thing on his mind when he went to different areas to preach the gospel. Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye have believed or having believed? Have ye enjoyed the fruit, the power, the demonstration, the assurance of the Spirit of God through the preaching of the cross? God's my witness. Now listen, notice what he says secondly. It's a very easy verse. We're just going to take it line by line, phrase by phrase. You know, getting back to what I just said about the power of the Spirit of God. Paul the Apostle was endued with certain types of power. You know, all of us like to say that we preach in the same way. But Paul was very unique. Let's, there's no doubt he was the voice of Christ. The Bible wasn't completed uh, you know, they had the old scriptures, whatever letters that they had were passed around to various churches and read. They were epistles. But Paul the Apostle stood in the stead of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he spoke, God spoke through him. And he had a power associated with his words. That's why when he would go and preach, 
He would preach in the demonstration and the power of the Holy Ghost with what? With much assurance. That was the gift that he imparted to many a believer. That is the sealing, if you will, an additional abundant blessing of the Holy Spirit beyond regeneration. It's past that, okay? Regeneration is the beginning of the work of grace in your soul. Being born again is the beginning of God's touching you, drawing him to yourself. As Brother Bluey preached last week about no man can come unto me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. And so that drawing is the beginning work of God's Spirit. What's in addition to that? What's in addition to that is hearing the gospel, being blessed of it through the power of that Holy Spirit and knowing what? The full assurance that you are indeed the children of God. That's the gift that the Apostle Paul had. Notice with me he says, he says, I might, verse 11, impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end, what? That ye may be established, that you might be confirmed, strengthened in all what we're talking about. And so um, you can see intimations of why Paul preached and what accompanied his preaching. It wasn't long ago that Brother Chuck was preaching on 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And while he was doing it, I noticed something that very, uh, that's very unique that draws upon the uniqueness of the Apostle Paul. Because in our text... He says he's not only setting forth the fact that God was his witness, but that he himself was a servant. And just how broad was his servitude toward Christ? It was so much so that he considered himself just one of many, even though he had this tremendous power. Watch what he says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, what I am, I am by the grace of God. Do you know why he could say something like that? Because prior to the grace of God, he was persecuting the church. He was breathing out cursings. He was imprisoning people for merely doing what you're doing here this morning. You know, Christianity is still being persecuted today. Christians are being persecuted today. It's the the largest religion on the face of the earth being persecuted today. Did you know that? Maybe not so much in America, but in Asia, in India, in Vietnam, in China, in Russia. And you can see how hostile our government is toward Christians. Or are you not reading the papers? Maybe you're not reading the news. But it is a fact that the world is antagonistic toward Christ. Jesus warned His disciples that you're going to have tribulation. They hated Me, He said, they'll hate you also. Well, here is what the Apostle said, Whatever I am, I am by the grace of God, because it's the grace of God that brought to Me eternal life. Whatever He did in the service of God in torturing and killing people, or consenting to their death at least, he did in a a way that he thought he was doing God's service. He wasn't serving God, was he? A religion that hates and murders other people, that's not serving God, that's serving self. Paul said, I'm serving 
the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm speaking on His behalf. And God bears witness that He chose me. I did not choose Him. He said, I am what I am by the grace of God. Now this is how low He got. He said, I'm the least of the apostles. He said, I'm not meat or I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. Because, he said, I persecuted the church of God. He said, by by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. That's a humble way of saying that the Apostle Paul was set out apart the rest, apart from the rest, and used by God through the demonstration and the power of the Holy Spirit to add a lot of blessings. When they asked, excuse me, when he asked those brethren at Ephesus, have ye received the Holy Ghost? And they said they have not as much as heard of the Holy Ghost. He preached to them and they received the gift of the Holy Ghost because by virtue of the power that God gave him to preach the gospel with much assurance to those who heard it. That was the gift that he had. But in spite of that, he still says that it was the grace of God within me. He didn't take credit for it. And then he says this, Therefore, whether it were I or they, doesn't matter. He said the gospel was preached and you believed. That's what matters. You see where the Apostle Paul is? Now, there's a song we sing, and it's probably one of my favorites. It's not going to make the cut. Won't get past the pearly gates, I don't believe, because the Apostle Paul won't have it. I cannot pray just like old Daniel. I cannot preach like the great Apostle Paul. He's not going to have that in heaven, is he? Why? Because he was a servant. He was a servant of God. You know what that word means? Now, the translators cut us some slack because that word in the original still creates a lot of disturbance in the heart of man because it's a scourge upon humanity. Not just in our immediate existence, but throughout the ages of human existence. Slavery was a very powerful thing. Making people victims of another person's pride and arrogance. It was as much a hateful thing in 1611 as it, was, as it is today. But that word in the original, when he says, whom I serve, he's referring to slavery. Paul the Apostle was a slave. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to add something here. Notice what he says in the first verse. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Same word. He's a bond servant. Now there's a difference. Because if you trace that back to the original idea found in Exodus chapter 15. You will read that a slave uh, would be considered a bond servant to the master for one reason. And that one reason was the same reason that the Apostle Paul was serving the Lord Jesus Christ at this very time in which he wrote this letter. And that was called love. In whom I serve. He loved. He was a bond servant. And that servant back in the Exodus chapter of which I mentioned was a unique relationship. And that servitude lasted as long as God 
allowed it to, and after such time, they were to be set free. And if you were in the property of having a slave, and ultimately under God's guidance, and all the details are back there in the Old Testament, everything that is done is done by detail and in exactness according to the law, and at a certain time when they were set free, whatever they came with, they went with. They came with nothing, they went with nothing, but they were set free. And on occasion, if a bondservant desired to stay faithful to their masters because they loved them, they had a relationship with them, then they would take an awl and bore the earlobe with a hole as identifying mark that they were in bondage, a loving bondage, a servitude to their masters. And they were willing to sacrifice their life for the glory of of their masters. Isn't that a beautiful thing? They were allowed the freedom. God said that's a good thing, but if you desire to stay, we're going to take care of you because it's a relationship built on the love of God. You see that? How beautiful it mirrors the Christian walk. Somebody says, yeah, you say we're serving God in the Spirit and in the Holy Ghost. What's the body got to do with it? I'll tell you what it's got to do with it. You sacrifice that body. That body's a living sacrifice. You don't do what you want. You subject it. You subject it. You bring it under. You bring it under the power of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't live the way it wants to, does it? According to the lust, the works of the flesh, the greed, the covetousness. No, Christianity. That's what I meant when I said earlier on. It includes, it, capture, it ca- encapsulates the entirety of body, soul, and spirit. I'll tell you what, you can't serve God in your spirit or with your spirit. Sitting on the, sitting in the, listen, you, God will have all of you. God calls on us, doesn't he? That's a theme we re- reiterate quite a bit. But look at this. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit. I love that language because it draws me back to the time when the Lord Jesus gives the commission to his disciples. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's exactly what they did. Okay? The change was from the house of Israel now to the uttermost parts of the earth. We can see its formation or its, uh, its, its coming out there in the book of Acts when they were to be witnesses not only in Jerusalem but Samaria and to the uttermost, uttermost parts of the earth. They were to be my witnesses. Okay? And the Lord Jesus Christ blessed them. Um, And uh, they were to serve the Lord with him. And this is what he says in Mark chapter 16. When they took that commission preaching. He said, the Lord working with them. In a partnership alongside them. That the Lord Jesus Christ would be with them. Through the fiery furnace. Through the fiery trials. Through the opposition. Running for your life. Out of Philippi, I'm going to be with you. All men forsaking you, God will stand with you. No man, no man uh, forsook. Excuse me, the Lord Jesus Christ did something that no other man did. He never forsook the Apostle Paul. When, When Paul and Silas were in Macedonia prison, they sang hymns in the midnight hour unto the Lord. Because the Lord was with them. Is the Lord with you? What kind of Christianity do you have? 
Is it a Sunday only religion? Duty bound. Do you serve God according to an external aspect of your natural man? What, listen to what Paul said. I serve God in my spirit. That's what it says in the center column reference. So that whether you say it's with or in, same thing, same difference. He's with me. He's with me. Got to be with you in the preaching though, doesn't he? Heard a story about a preacher. Had a meeting. Had to attend to and all the people were there. But the preacher wasn't. He was right around the corner, but everybody was waiting on him. Not too much different from the book of Acts, chapter 10, when Cornelius and his family were waiting on the apostle Peter to preach. Well, anyway, the host of the meeting sent for the preacher, sent this little girl, go fetch the preacher, tell him everybody's here. So she goes to the house, and there he was, in the house. She could hear him. She didn't see him, but he was talking to somebody. So she turns around, comes on back. He's talking to somebody. He's got somebody in the house with him. He's busy. Preacher says, go on back and fetch the appointed preacher. Let him know we're all still here waiting on him. So she goes back, and this time she listens in on it. And the preacher says, I'm not going to go unless you're with me. So she runs back to the preacher, tells the old pastor, said, this is what he said. And he nodded his head, yes. Will you go back this time, the third time, you let them know we're waiting on them. We're waiting on the Lord to be with you. That old preacher knew something. That unless God is with His servant, it's a waste of time. Unless God is with you. Is He with you this morning? Was He with you this morning when you got up? Did you think about His Bible? Did you think about how might God bless you today? Strengthen you for the days that lies ahead? You don't know what your day has in store for you, do you? You might be meeting the throne. You might be meeting God this very afternoon. Somebody here might not make it through the week. Have you started out this morning with God? Also, I, I like the center column reference because it really helps me to understand what we're all about. The Bible says something like this. We have, 1 Corinthians 2 verse 16, we have... The mind of Christ. A lot, go, lot, lot, lot going on in Christianity is happening right inside your heart. This scripture got to me when I considered Mary, the scripture says, who pondered these things in her heart. She kept the sayings in her heart. It's amazing how just little things. You know, we got this idea that it, we got this billboard Lights on, action-packed religion, Christianity. That's the way we think. That unless it's really big and everybody knows it, it doesn't mean much. God works the exact opposite. He works according to a still, small voice. You hear it. You meditate upon that word. That's why I like, get up in the morning, you get your scripture and you think about it. You meditate on it. Because before long, you keep chewing on that. That's what it means to meditate. You're like a tree planted by rivers of living water. And your roots dig deep into the soil. And that living water, which is the Holy Ghost, is going to zap you. It's going to give you vitality. It's going to give you some energy. And something's going to go off in your heart, in your mind. David said, I've kept thy precepts. I know more than the ancients. I kept 
thy precepts, thy word have I laid up in my heart. It's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Why? Because he's got it in his heart. He's always chewing on something. And those little things, those little words, you hear those voices, ah, that's just my subconscious. That's just something, just, I've been thinking about that. No, that's the Spirit of God speaking to you, directing you, quietly and carefully instilling in you the direction of God. And sometimes those little things, I like what Brother Justice said to me, or he said something to the effect that it's the little things that happen in our life that are actually very momentous. And I knew what he was talking about because it reminded me of a sister by the name of Amy Carmichael. You all know about Amy Carmichael because I've mentioned her on several occasions. She would be eventually a woman used by God to help a lot of the poor little girls of southern India who were entrapped and in bondage, enslaved, if you will, to the temple priest of Hinduism. But anyway, where did she get her start? Here she is in Northern Ireland, Belfast, pristine, Sunday dress, just like dad's. Uh, Of course, her father was dead at this point, but she was going to church with her brothers, and she was coming home after church in her Sunday best, and she was mulling over in her mind what it means that the day shall manifest, shall declare the work of God. She was thinking about wood, hay, and stubble. She was thinking about gold, precious stones, silver. She was seeing these works of God being manifested in a person's life, and she didn't understand how it would all pan out. And while she was meditating on these words in her heart, while she was pondering these things in her heart, a bag lady stood in front of her with a heavy burden, a big bag, a load. She couldn't hardly lift herself. Right there, stood in her way. Not a church person, unchurched. Somebody you and I, in our Sunday best, might just go around. Too much trouble, inconvenience. But what did she do? She rolled up her sleeves. Her brothers didn't quite get the message at first. You know, they were the ones that wanted to go around. But she got in there. And you know what she got that day by doing that act of love, that act of service? She understood what it meant to serve God in her spirit. And she understood that her life from that point on would be a work for others, on behalf of others, for service to others. She didn't see it all at that particular moment in time, but it put her on course. And so when you meditate upon the Word of God, you never know what little things despise not the day of small things because it may blossom into something very powerful and very precious in your life. When we think about this Scripture, we really think about, in some sense, the great excuse me, Apostle Paul, that one who was a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we want to put the robes on. We want to stand apart and separated. We want to be set on a pedestal. We want honor, recognition. We want applause. We want recognition for who we are. You know, it's quite opposite. It's quite opposite. The true calling of a minister is not external. I think that's what he means. When he says it's in the Spirit or with the Spirit, he's saying it's not something I can just put on. Like a plumber can put on, if you will, his overhauls in the morning, puts the straps on, 
What's he do? He gets the tools. Where's Brother Farrington? Brother Farrington goes into his garage. Got a lot of tools. Well, at the end of the day, lights out, put the tools away, go back in the house. He can put it on, he can put it off. That's a vocation. Guy might be an electrician, a painter, might be a doctor or a lawyer. He's got certain tools associated with his trade. He goes to school, gets qualified, he puts on something he can put on. The ministry is something you don't put on. It's a calling. God calls you. You can't you can put it off. And I know all of us can identify with this. You know, we're trying to serve God in our spirit and we're obstructed because what? A lot of things get in the way, obstructions. They get in the way of serving God. Paul the Apostle was very unique. He could say things that you and I could not understand. He could, he could, he could, say, he could say to some people, you abide and remain as I. He was a single man. He didn't marry. Why? Because when you marry, you're going to have distractions. And whereas you could serve the Lord, now you're going to be distracted. Is it bad? No. It's not bad. It's a wonderful thing to be married. But I tell you what, it will help you, won't it? Now that we understand what this Christianity is all about, if you want real togetherness in your marriage, the key of it is right here in that verse. That both husband and wife serve God in their spirits. And there won't be no obstruction. And it'll be a happy camp- you'll be a happy camper. The medicine's right there in that text. It reminds me of the day of Charles Spurgeon. Now, what I said now, not everybody can receive this saying. Not everybody understands this degree in which the Apostle Paul attained, as I mentioned earlier. But some people have. Now, Charles Spurgeon was a Baptist minister in England. Now, you've heard of him. He was an amazing man. And Susanna was his as a fiancée, right? And uh, he invited... Susanna to an afternoon meeting on one particular Sunday. And he got a cab, horse-drawn cab. And Susanna was just so happy. She's got old Charles, and they're talking, and it's such a happy event where they're together. I can't imagine, excuse me, I can imagine the romanticism that she felt in her heart as she loved this dear soul, such a servant of God. But as the cab got closer to the church. He's starting to forget about her. He's so consumed with the ministry, with the preaching, with the, the task that lies ahead. By the time they got out, she was furious. She got into the, the assembly. He's gone. She runs home. She's bitter. She's angry. She touts to her mother and she She's bitter, and her mother gives her some really good, really good advice. She says, Susanna, Charles is a great man of God. He's a servant of the Lord first and foremost. And until you recognize that, you're going to always feel in your heart that problem. There's going to be a disruption in your heart. You're not going to be on the same page. Well, anyway, that was the best advice she ever got. Eventually, they would, too, would be married and live a happy life 
together serving the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I serve the Lord with my spirit. I like that idea of the my part. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit. The Apostle Paul could not be accused of establishing some sort of phantomized Christianity that God somewhere is so far off that He can't be felt in the heart. Where is your God? Is He sitting on your dashboard? Is He on a little place card? Is God in your heart, in your spirit? Is He your guide? Does He touch the feelings deep inside of your heart? This is where you want to be. Say, well, preacher, I'm not there yet. I really don't have that kind of dedication. Well, where's the Bible in your life? Well, I don't read that much. I go to church once in a while, but I really just satisfy, you know, something. You know what? There's something there for you. You've got to exercise it. God has given you His Spirit, and you're to work it over, if you will. Work that Spirit out. Your Spirit is really the new Spirit. Because when we think about this, we're not talking about the old man, are we? There's another spirit. It's the spirit of man. And we're not talking about the spirit of man. When, when Paul said, I serve God in my spirit, he's talking about the Holy Ghost. He's talking about the spirit of God. And, of course, he reiterates this, excuse me, expounds on this in the 6th and the 7th chapter of the great book of Romans. He expounds on that spirit. We walk in newness of the spirit, not in the oldness of the old man, the creepy man, the monster, the hidden monster within. You, anybody, ever he, anybody here ever seen the monster in you? I have. It's the ugly monster, the old man. That's the man that we got to put down. We got to buff it. We got to mortify. And so that we can serve God by the Spirit of the living God. Now notice, let's move on. Because all this has a parameter. What are the parameters of our servitude? Because we live in a day where pantheism is very, it's alive and well. This old Eastern Orient uh, mystic uh, religion is very alive today. Where people think God as like some sort of... uh, 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 Spirit that inhabits all types of materialism, uh, living and non-living, and is you know some sort of universal ghost that permeates the whole world. Now I can understand that there are some elements to the truth that lead people to believe that God is in everything, whether it's uh, living or not. The fact is, God is the author of creation. He's created all things. And for his pleasure, they are and they were created. But they're not to be worshipped. God gives you air, oxygen. God gives you water. And he gives you sunlight. And those elements enable you to prosper. He gives you air to breathe. Gives you certain things that you can do in order for you to prosper. None of those things of which I mentioned though are to be singled out and worshipped. But the God who gave them is to be worshipped. Because God gives you 
the ability, the natural ability, I'm talking about all men in general now, to work those things so that they will be better off in this life. God gives us all things richly to enjoy. So I'm not talking about a pantheistic thing. He said, I serve God with my spirit. He has a personal relationship with the God of the Bible. He worships the God of the Bible, but he's known, he's known through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the dividing line. Here's the great dividing line between a lot of our brothers and sisters in the spirit, called of God, out of darkness, but that's about as far as they go. Because they're either steeped in religion, a false religion. They never grow in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. They never pick up their Bible to meditate on what the Bible itself says. It's very ironic that a lot of people know more about the Bible having never read it, right? Than those who do. It's an amazing thing. But watch. He says, I serve God with my spirit in the gospel of his son. And there's some definite parameters there. There's some limitations there. There's a, a boundary there, if you will. And that is our center focus point. That's the centerpiece. That's the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of His Son. You set the table at your dining room. And it's a beautiful table. But you, you want to adorn it with something beautiful, like flowers, a centerpiece. While the Lord Jesus, the gospel that concerns Him, is the centerpiece of all the servitude of the Lord Jesus Christ. He speaks about something like this in the 14th chapter. Again, I make mention of this, that the Apostle Paul was addressing a variety of people, in particular those that were beaten up on the weaker brethren. They were picking on them for eating herbs, for instance. Here's a brother that said, I can't eat anything but herbs. And the other brother was saying, well, hey, Everything is given by God. There's nothing wrong with this meat. Eat it and enjoy. But the weaker brother said, no, I don't want to do that. And so the lesson is, whatever you do, don't offend somebody else. And if I'm inviting you over to dinner one night and you've made it a point to tell me, although you should sit sit down and eat whatever's in front of you, according to the faith of God, but since you're a weaker brother and you like uh, a, a limitation of certain things, uh, certain byproducts of this good old world that we enjoy very richly, and I don't want to offend your conscience, I'm going to provide whatever you like because it's your conscience, because I'm, I'm seeking to save your whole being, if you will, deliver you, okay? But I consider the fact that there's a variety of levels of faith. That's all Paul is doing and dealing with in the 14th chapter of Romans. See, the church was made up of all kinds of people, and certain people had certain philosophies, and they weren't all absolutely correct, and Paul's correcting them on how to deal with people like that. And love basically answers everything. Love answers everything. But this is what he does say. In verse 17, he said, the kingdom of his God is not meat and drink. Okay, let's get beyond that for a minute. We serve God in the Spirit concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. But get your priorities lined up properly. Number one priority. It's not about meat or drink. Enjoy meat and drink. You know, today there are idols, are they not? Go down the latest supermarket aisle and you're going to see a lot of idols in front of you. 
Lots of idols. They have a way of attracting you away from the business at hand. Today, even food preparation is a big idol with a lot of people. You know what? I love food, and I love it prepared, and I enjoy doing it myself. My wife is a wonderful cook. But it's not an idol, is it? doesn't stand in the way. Because why? Because the kingdom of God is not meat. It's not drink. But where's the substance of it? But righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Then he says this. He says, For he that in these things... Now, we know what we're talking about, right, Brother Robert? About these things, Sister Peggy, these things. Not talking about everything under the sun, is he? He's talking about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. He said, He that is in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. And so we find ourselves now at the last clause, and I'll come to our conclusion this morning, which is an amazing thing because it draws a circle, if you will, the circle of God's wonderful love. You don't have what we've been speaking about this morning all to yourself. I know some of you will be disappointed, but when you get to heaven, there will be other people there. He said this, that without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. You see, God starts out in the heavens. He draws you to Himself. He defines it through the gospel. And then He tells you to love others the way He Himself loved you. Full circle. This to me is a capsule of the entirety of the 14th, 15th, 16th, and 17th chapter of the Gospel of John. Right there. Because the Lord Jesus Christ, He prayed not for the world, but He prayed for them, which Thou hast given Me. He loved the people of God. He wanted to be associated with the people of God. This dear brother, who's going to unite with this church, is identifying not only with the gospel of God, but with the people who embrace it. The people that love it. You see that? That word you is used five additional times in the next five verses. He said, I want to pray for you. He said, I'm going to make my journey by the will of God to come unto you. He said, I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift to the end that ye may be established, that you might be confirmed, that you might grow in grace and in the knowledge of the gospel. You know Amy Carmichael, who I mentioned earlier, what she got in her little mind, in the direction in which she would ultimately go, that was just the beginning of something. If you looked at her at that particular time in her life, you would have said something like this. I'm going to pray that ye will be established in the faith. But if you could see her at about 80 years old, you would say that she was in fact established in the faith. You see, it's like a soldier. You know, he's went through boot camp. Got six weeks down under his belt. He's ready to hit the road, isn't he? 
He's marching. He can salute. He knows the book real well. But he ain't no soldier, is he? It's not until he gets battle-worn and weary, tried in the furnace of the affliction, of the experience of a true soldier, that you could say, having come out of that, that he was confirmed and established. That's what he's praying for. We're praying that your faith is established by being tried through the fiery experiences of life, that it may redound unto the praise and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says that I would have you fruit. He says, I might have some fruit among you also, even among other Gentiles. May the Lord bless you today and be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ in your spirit. We're glad you've been able to listen to this podcast. We invite you to come and worship with us on a Sunday morning. Our services begin with hymn singing at 10.30 a.m. Mount Carmel Primitive Baptist Church is located at 1707 Churchville Road in Bel Air, Maryland. If you've enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast application.